0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Vil Perez. Happy New Year. If you would, make your way back to your seat. Grab your Bibles. Let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Uh, If you haven't been here before, uh, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. If we haven't met, my name is Dustin. I get to be the lead pastor here. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, grab one of these blue hardback Bibles. They're all throughout the room. Grab a Bible. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word with them out in front of them. Uh, also this is kind of fun we got the nine o'clock crowd and the ten thirty crowd all crammed in together for the morning so uh if you see people you don't recognize these are also members of our church uh, so uh friends welcome to uh, jpc welcome to the lord's house if you would grab your bibles open up to matthew chapter 6 uh, we are going to be going through the sermon on the mount between now and easter and we're going to be looking for the next several weeks at the lord's prayer so it's page 964, if you've got one of those blue hardback Bibles, all throughout the room. We're looking at verses 5 through 15 for the next seven weeks or so, and we're just going to take it a few verses at a time. So uh, this will be a slower pace than some of us are, are, are used to. Uh, but with that in mind, friends, let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. And then would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray together in the spirit. Father, we come before you now in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And by the blood of his eternal covenant, we can ask that you would equip us now with everything good, that we can do your will. Lord, we dedicate, we give this year to you, and we ask that we would grow as faithful followers of your son this year. Lord, we ask not for material things, but for an inner change in our hearts, in our minds, and in our wills, that we would want to be more and more like your son, Jesus. We ask that in his name, amen. Uh, Well, we're picking up uh, now in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We spent the last several months going through the book of Ephesians. And if you were here on Christmas morning, you'll remember that Pastor Richard preached the final section of Ephesians, which really focuses on prayer. Uh, Remember, uh, in Ephesians, Paul is imprisoned. And at the end of Ephesians, he says, pray for me and for all of the saints. And then we finished last Sunday, actually with an extended time of praying for one another. It was very special if you were here on Christmas morning to get to pray for each other corporately. Um, You know, I loved Pastor Richard's sermons. If you don't know this, uh, is Pastor Richard here? Is he here this morning? If not, there he is, he's right. He's not sitting in his normal place because the services are all messed up and everyone's in the wrong place and my anchors are not where they normally are. Uh, I like to call uh, Reverend Evans, Revens, if you don't know that. So uh, let's make that happen, okay, y'all? Revens is my favorite nickname I've ever come up with. Reven, Reverend Evans, Revens for short. Uh, but he talked about the need for prayer, you know, the, the basics of prayer. And uh, as many of you all know, I've always struggled in my, in my prayer life, but I have grown in this area. And the way that I primarily grew was because of God's grace in my life, but also by studying the Lord's Prayer. And although many of us you know, recite this every Sunday and it can seem very rote and not very meaningful to us, what I would suggest to you is if you were to understand the Lord's Prayer, uh, it is deeply, deeply profound and it will shape your prayer life. And as we go through this section of Matthew, I want you to be open to transformation. Uh, you, when you and I come to worship, we're not here for information alone. We come to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So check your heart right now. Are you here to learn or are you here to be transformed. Or let me ask it a different way. Why do you learn about the Bible? We learn so that we can be transformed in the new man from one degree of glory to the next. So I hope you have an open heart and mind to be uh, taught by Jesus how we should pray. So let me just start off maybe with a a simple question. I like asking questions, uh, you know, and so did Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Imagine, let's do a thought experiment. Imagine you could ask God for one thing, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? If you could ask God for one thing, what would come to mind? Well, some of you may say, well, I want a really great afterlife, right? You, maybe you've, you, you've learned enough about life that everything is not really about this life. It's the next life. So you say, I want a really good spot for all of eternity. Uh, maybe some of you say, if I could ask Jesus anything, if I could ask him anything, I would want to know about the details of his return. You know, what's going on in Israel? When is Jesus going to come back? Or, you know, anybody here say, well, you know what, if I could ask God to do one thing, I wish Jesus would run for president. Wouldn't things be better if he was on the ballot? Instead of, you know, D or R, I could say G for God. I mean, how do you not vote for that, right? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus could just rule the place? Or, you know, some of us would say, well, if I could ask God for anything, I'd ask God to save me, but I don't really want it to happen right now. If you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? Well... I mentioned some of those examples because if you study the New Testament, you'll see that people are constantly asking Jesus for things. They're asking him for information, they're asking him for advice, they're asking him for insight, and it's amazing how often Jesus disappoints people, and he doesn't give them what they're asking for. You know, if you want a great afterlife, if you want a really cush spot for all of eternity, well, if you were to read Matthew and Mark, especially, uh, I think it's Mark chapter 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they go to Jesus. Uh, Matthew tells us their mom comes along too, and they ask Jesus, they say, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand for all of eternity? Can we have a great spot in eternity? And what does Jesus tell his apostles? He says, nah, that's not going to be my thing to give out like that. Or let's say you want to know, I know what I want. I want to know when Jesus is coming back. When is all this stuff going to be fulfilled? But of course, if you study the Bible, you'll know in Acts chapter 1, the apostles ask Jesus after his resurrection, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And how does Jesus respond? It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Or, you know, if you're thinking, man, I wish Jesus would come in and like fix the political world, you know, if Jesus could run for president. Well, I think about that famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? Pretty amazing. He feeds 5,000 men plus the women and the children. And you know, it's really interesting. John tells us at the end of him feeding that many people, you know how the crowd responds to his preaching? Perceiving then that they were about to come and by force make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. What do you think he was doing on the mountain by himself? Hold that thought. Well, what if you said, well, I want to be saved, duh. I want to go to heaven when I die, but I don't want to follow Jesus right now. I've got some things I want to do, right? I want to postpone my salvation. Well, how does Jesus respond to people when they say things like that? Well, Luke 9 tells us, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those people back at my house. And how does Jesus respond to that request? Does he say, that sounds prudent. You should really take your time and think about following me. Is that what Jesus says? No, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, um, I want to be saved, but not yet. I think that describes so many people. Like, I want fire insurance. I just don't have to deal with it right now. You know, it reminds me of the great St. Augustine, uh, you know, one of my favorite pastors. You know, he famously once said, give me chastity, Lord, but don't give it yet. He says that in his confessions. As a young man, that was his prayer. So I say all that because if you could ask God, for one thing right now, what would it be? Brand new year, January. Is it information about his return? Is it a great cushy spot in the afterlife? Is it getting saved but not having to deal with his sticky moral commands right now but still getting into heaven? What is it that you would most want? Well, if you were to read Matthew 11, if you go to Matthew 11 verse 1, this is where Matthew recounts the Lord's Prayer. You, can, you don't have to turn there, but you can. It's page 1033, and this is where Luke records the Lord's Prayer. And what's so interesting to me as we study the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus responds to the request of people, but it's a specific kind of request. It's not for information. It's not, you know, the times and seasons. In Luke 11.1, 1, it says, Now when Jesus was praying in a certain place, And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Friends, the reason I I, I mention all of this to you is because of all the different requests, all the different things you could ask for God right now. Isn't it interesting to you that when someone says, hey, Jesus, can you teach me how to pray? I'm not really good at it. I need you to teach me to be a praying kind of person. Jesus says, yes, I will absolutely teach you how to pray. Now, if I asked you that, you know, January 1st, on your list, anybody make New Year's resolutions? Anybody thinking about making a New Year's, anybody set a New Year's resolution of making New Year's resolutions? Would you say that learning to become a more prayerful person is anywhere on your list of things that you want to do? Learning to pray more, was that even in your top 10? Growing in your prayer life? Well, how could you grow in your prayer life? Well, this is what the Lord's Prayer, this section of Matthew is all about. And what I wanna suggest to you, friends, is it is deeply in your own interest to become a more prayerful person. Let's look at Matthew chapter six, verses five through six this morning. Look down at verse five. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. (laughs) Truly, I say to you, they have already received their reward. What I want you to recognize here, if you were to zoom out and look at the Sermon on the Mount, anybody here have a red letter Bible in front of you? You'll probably notice that Matthew's chapter five, six, and seven, they're all red. So this is the, long, the longest teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to notice that when Jesus says, when you pray, he says that phrase three times. Look at verse five, when you pray. Then look down at verse six, and when you pray. And verse seven, and when you pray. <laughs> So as you see, Jesus is teaching that prayer is a natural part of the Christian life. In fact, to put it in sort of a a broader context, I want you to recognize in Matthew chapter six that actually Jesus is prescribing three spiritual disciplines or, or three habits of a Christian. Now look at verse two in chapter six. What's the first spiritual habit of a Christian? When you do what? When you give to the needy, not if, Christian, but when you give to the poor, Or when you go to places like the Medford Gospel Mission and you feed the poor. When you give to the poor. And then in verse five, Christians do what? When you do what? When you pray. And then look at verse 16. And when you do what? And when you fast. So we start to see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing a very everyday kind of life. It's not pie in the sky. It's not hard to figure out. What Jesus is describing is simply an everyday life where we are in communion with the living God. And you know, we do things like we pray to him and we fast and we have an eye to the poor around us where we give to those in need. And notice that Jesus doesn't always give people what they ask for, but Jesus does instruct you and I how to pray. Or maybe when I think about it this, I think about it this way. Jesus knows that we need to learn how to pray. And that's why he tells us how to So how are we supposed to pray? When you pray, look at verse five, you must not be like what? Jesus is gonna tell us what not to be like. He says, don't be like a what? A hypocrite. A hypocrite, you know, famously in this context was, you know, an actor who put on a mask. That's not really who they are. It was a mask. It was, you know, pretension. It was fake, right? And Jesus knows that many, many people can use religion to appear fake, right? To appear like they are better on the outside than they really are on the inside, You know, and the the best way to think about this is when Jesus says, Don't be like a hypocrite, is look at the verse, How how does a hypocrite pray? A hypocrite prays, you know, the the wrong way to pray is to pray out loud so people think you're really religious and really pious. You know, you say all kinds of great things. You know, but Jesus says that's not the way to pray. The way to pray is genuine, it's to your Father. And Jesus goes on and he says, Actually, our prayer life should be more marked by our private times of prayer. And the times we get in front of other people and we act super duper pious. Now, many of you probably don't ever want to pray in public anyway, so you may think, well, good, I'm off the hook because I could care less if I ever pray in public once again, Right? But to understand this in context, you'll have to recognize that, you know, in Jesus's life, in his lifetime, you know, in the world that he lived, you know, probably what's happening is every morning and evening, during the morning and the evening sacrifices, you know, scholars generally think that some kind of notice was given to the people in the community. Maybe somebody blew a trumpet. And so, you know, at the 9 a.m. sacrifice and the 3 p.m. evening sacrifices, probably what happened in Israel is somebody would let you know sacrifices are happening, and you would stop what you're doing at any moment and you would do what? You'd stop in your tracks and you'd do what? Face the temple and you would pray. We don't know that for sure, but that seems to be uh, understood by scholars. So you could see why, if that's how people see prayer working, you could see why some people wanting to seem more religious than others would maybe arrange their day so they're at the street corners. Oh, it just happens to be three o'clock. Oh God, thank you that I'm not like all these knuckleheads around me you know, like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, he prays that way. So Jesus is saying, don't use your religion to seem greater, right? And Jesus says, those people do get a reward. It's just not answered prayer. If you treat religion, if you treat faith in Christ as some kind of means to an end, what does Jesus say the reward is? Well, if you want people to think you're religious, that's all you're going to get. You know, um, I think what I, what, 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 it occurs to me when I, when I think about this, you know, because I have to pray in public uh, probably more than the most, you know, a normal person. I have to pray, you know, on Sundays. But I think, you know, the way that would apply to me is I think um, when I pray in public, does it sound anything like how I pray when I'm by myself? Uh, I remember right when I first got converted to Christ, um, this is not an endorsement of the song <laughs> at all, but uh, there was a, a popular song when I was in college called When the Politician Talks to God. And it's, a, it's not a very good song. I'm not endorsing the song, but the, he goes on and the guy hates Christianity. And he says, when the politician talks to God, does he fake that drawl? <laughs> and I remember being really convicted by that song because he's pointing out that it's so easy for us to be hypocritical, to want to be seen as religious. But is there anything like a private, personal prayer life Or when I pray out loud in front of people, I I think about it this way, do my kids recognize me when I pray in public? Or am I a totally different person in the pulpit than I am at home? I don't know how that would apply to you, but think about that. When you pray by yourself, does it sound anything like when you're praying out loud? You know, uh, Robert Murray Machane was a famous Scottish Minister. He died at a very young age. But Robert Murray Machane, you know, talked a lot about prayer and he taught a lot about prayer. He has a great line. He says, If you want to humble Christians, just ask about their prayer life. <laughs> right? Uh, we all struggle in this area, especially when it comes to private prayer. But this is why it's so good, friends. It's so good that Jesus teaches us how to pray. So as I've grown in this, I think, you know, part of, part of this is I don't want to pray in public just so that people think I'm great. It needs to be private. It needs to be between me and the Lord. And, you know, a couple of things that I've done that I'd encourage you to just try is just before you go into a prayer, like before you pray at dinner or before you pray, you know, before you take a road trip, just pause for a second. Just pause. You know, just pause for like five seconds and reorient yourself to the Lord. Uh, you don't have to necessarily kneel and figure out which direction Jerusalem is like they were probably doing. But there is sort of a sense that by doing that, there's, you know, kind of slowing down and they're not running through the motions, right? So uh, face him, so to speak. So how often are we supposed to pray? So I'm suggesting to you that Jesus will answer your request if you want to learn how to pray, that you and I need to grow as praying people. But how often, okay, Dustin, okay, if I'm supposed to pray, how often am I supposed to pray? Well, you know, if people in the Old Testament were praying during the morning and evening time, uh, that seems to be, you know, consistent into the New Testament. If you were to read the book of Acts, in Acts chapter three, verse one, some of the apostles go to the temple at the hour of prayer and they pray. Uh, But the Bible doesn't describe sort of a, a biblically mandated rule where you have to pray at this time and then at this time and then at this time. Now, some of those things were helpful, like it just was helpful to have an hour of prayer at three o'clock in the Old Testament and by the time the apostles were alive. But the Bible never says that that's how we're supposed to do it. Instead, what it seems to be is it's much more personal, but it does seem to be something that's deliberate. You've got to think it through and figure out when would be a good time for you to pray. You know, my favorite example of this is from the book of Daniel. If you were to read the story of Daniel, Daniel does not wanna do what the government wants him to do and he ends up being thrown in a what? Anybody remember the story? He gets thrown into a what? Yeah, the line at the DMV. It's horrible. No, 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 that's no, not it. Some of you, okay, just making sure you're listening still. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, but before he gets thrown in the lion's den, when he finds out that his faith is going to lead to potentially his death, Daniel 6.10 says this, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. So what I wanna suggest to you is prayer should be something that you do daily, at a minimum. There should be a time of prayer daily in our lives. And a day without prayer is such a missed opportunity to live that day to its fullest. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not gonna prescribe it any more than that. You know, if you wanna do morning, noon, you know, evening, and then bedtime, well, you know, that's great for you. Uh, but you, maybe if you're struggling to think of a daily time to set, um, all, I, I'm not trying to make your prayer life rote. But I, instead, I, I have another analogy. Think about it this way. Um, raise your hand if you drink coffee. I would ask you if you drink coffee every day, but that's the same question. Do you make coffee generally the same way? When you go to a coffee shop, does the barista know how you like your coffee? Now, what if I told you, whoa, 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 wait a second. You don't want your coffee to be a habit and lose its power, do you? Because if you, do it, if you drink it every day, it won't do anything to you. What would you say? You say, well, that's not how coffee works. Coffee has an inherent power to it. Even when it's bad coffee, it's still kind of giving me the power. Even when I have to go to the gas station, it still kind of works. Could you imagine going a day without coffee? What if, okay, if so, if, just think of it this way. Imagine prayer had just as much power as a cup of coffee did. Do you bring the meaning and the power to coffee, or does coffee empower you to go through the day? Prayer works the same way. Even if it's short, even if it's in the car, even if you're changing a diaper, it has inherent power to it. When you go to God as a beloved child of God, it doesn't always have to be a mountaintop experience. Sometimes you're in your prayer closet. Just believe in the power of prayer as much as you believe in the power of the cup of coffee that you drank this morning. So, uh, you know, Jesus is gonna say, when you pray, right? So there's, the, look at verse five. When you pray, that's the assumption. That's the teaching. You and I, we are going to be people who pray. Everything we look at when it comes to the great saints in the Old Testament, the apostles, Jesus himself, they had specific times. They particularly liked to go in the morning to pray. Seems like there's something powerful about morning prayer that Jesus himself often is depicted as doing. And we don't do it for the sake of other people. And this is why it's so important to develop your personal prayer life, right? But of course, you know, I I know this is hard for all of us because, you know, as Machane said, if you want to humble a Christian, ask about their prayer life, right? And so the great news is, friend, God loves you in Christ, and he's going to teach you by his spirit to be a person of prayer. Look at verse six. Jesus goes on and he teaches us more about prayer. But when you pray, there's that phrase again, go where? Into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So what I want to suggest to you, friend, right there in verse six is we learn that the sort of, you think of the the analogy of a house, the foundation, the pillar that everything rests on in prayer is a personal prayer life, right? It's great to come and pray on Sundays. It's good to pray with other people. But Jesus is teaching right there, when you pray, the foundation, the beginning of your day is with whom? By yourself, with your father, Now, with other people, it's with your Father by yourself. And it's really interesting, that word uh, room right there, did you see that? When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Well, it's interesting, in Jesus' lifetime, most people didn't have bedrooms. Everybody slept in one big room, right? I mean, imagine going into a, a developing world country where not everybody has a private bedroom so what room is Jesus describing? Well, in the Greek, that word could mean storage closet. Technically it's closet, right? That's really the word. And the only closet people in this time generally had was their storage closet. So Jesus is saying, if you have got to get by yourself, don't do with other people. It's you and your father, but you're never alone. You're never alone when you pray by yourself because God is meeting you there. And so Jesus says, you know, almost hyperbolically, like if you have to go hide in like the food pantry, (laughs) Right uh, I remember this great uh, uh, video Caroline showed me of a mom trying to, you, know, use the bathroom by herself, and there's like, you know kids banging on the door, and there's like little tiny hands underneath the door, like asking for mom. You know? Hard, it's hard to get by yourself. I get that. It's hard to be by yourself. This is why I'm suggesting to you that the easiest time to be by yourself is when. Early in the morning. When does Jesus find time to get away by himself? You know, Mark chapter 1, there's this great story that's so meaningful to me. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says that Jesus, after a long night of casting out demons and healing people and healing Peter's mother in law, after a long night of ministry, Jesus rose early while it was still dark and went off to a desolate place and prayed by himself. Isn't that amazing? In the example of Jesus, and I'd encourage you, you know, when can you go by yourself? Well, Jesus is saying, look, whatever way you can be by yourself, go find it. Shut the door, pray to your Father, right? So, is it that you need to have a prayer room? Some people do have a prayer room, but if you don't have that privilege, well, find somewhere else to be alone. And maybe the morning time is the easiest time to do that. But notice that, you know, this idea of praying by yourself, you know, Luke 5 16 says Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. And, you know, when you think about this, like what I'm suggesting to you is having a some, somewhat uh, disciplined time in the morning, perhaps, of praying to your father, right? That's what I'm suggesting to you. Uh, it, could be in the, it could be at noon, it could be at night, it's whenever it works for you. But that's what I'm suggesting to you uh, to do and to think through. But for some of us, we think, oh my gosh, being by myself, doesn't that sound so boring? Ugh. You know, uh, one of the things that we've lost in, in modern day is silence and solitude. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, but, um, you know, there's some kooky guy in the Olympic National Park. Have you seen him online? You know what he does? He tries to find the one square inch of the world where there's not sound occurring at some place, and he found it in the Olympic National Park. You know, of course he did. Well, he, he forgot that Bigfoot lives there, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> You know, if you were to do like an audit of your life, how often is there genuinely no music in the background, no TVs going on in the background, no podcast playing? This idea of silence, alone. Jesus, I mean, just picture in your mind, Jesus early in the morning on some mountain, hiding from his apostles. (laughs) Peter's like, we finally found you. Where have you been? (laughs) That's what he says in Mark 1. But isn't that so boring? Well, I want to suggest to you, friends, that that is the exact opposite. Prayer is not boring. You are never alone. If you are a Christian, if you have repented of your sins, if you know Jesus died for you, if you've been baptized in his name, if you've been born again, there is no greater reward than life with him. Uh, You know, and the amazing thing, look down at verse six. God says to you, friend, that if you are a Christian and you pray to your father, God will give you a reward. He will give you a gift. And the gift is not just prayer time. There is actual rewards to prayer. God will give you good things if you pray. Isn't that amazing that Jesus says that? He says, hypocrites, they get their reward. They think they're great. That's all they're gonna get. But if you go to your father by yourself, guess what? You will be rewarded for it. that beautiful? Now, why would God give gifts to those who pray? Well, uh, you know, do you want to be a smart person? Do you, you know, in this amazing, everybody wants to be smart, whether you're like 14 or 94, everybody wants to be smart. If I tell you that if you do something, great rewards will come your way. You should want to do it, right? Because you want to be intelligent. Well, I want to suggest to you is when God promises gifts and rewards, you should believe him. Right? Faith is believing to be true what God already knows is true. So if God says he will reward you for praying every day, buddy, you should be cashing in on that every day. Why does God give gifts, um, You know, as reflecting on, you know, why God would promise gifts and rewards, I mean, obviously the reward there does not mean that we're earning it by our our righteous deeds of prayer, right? It's a gift, a a gift of grace, like everything. So why would God give you a gift? Uh, Well, this past week, you know, we gave many gifts to each other, probably if you celebrated Christmas, and, uh, you know, I was reflecting on why I gave people gifts, and there is this sort of like sense, right, that when I give Caroline or the kids gifts, what I'm communicating in the act of giving is I like you. I love you. I notice cool things about you, which means I know you. And the implicit statement when I give gifts to the kids in Caroline is, hey, we should spend more time together, right? (laughs) I like you. I love you. I notice cool things about you and we should spend more time together. And, you know, when I got gifts, that's what's being communicated to me is there's this sense of knowing in a relationship that the gift is just so beautiful at um, sparking, right? So, uh, you know, one of the favorite things that I got was uh, my wife, uh, Caroline, she got me a fly tying station kit. And so she collaborated with some friends and I had this whole mess of like turkey feathers and elk hair and a vice she hold and all these different little hooks for my fly fishing thing. And I realized that that was such a great gift because my wife is telling me, I like you, I love you, you are moderately good at fishing and... If you tie them, we can spend some time together as we learn to do this, right? That's what we communicate when we give gifts, right? Think about the gift that you gave to somebody this Christmas. Why did you give them a gift? Because on some level you're saying, I like you and I love you and we should spend more time together. In a very real sense, friends, God is the greatest giver of any gift and I don't think he's communicating anything more complicated than that. God is saying, I like you and I love you. You are my beloved child. Who does Jesus say will reward you? He doesn't say the creator. He doesn't say God. What does he say? Your father. Your father will reward you because he loves you. And it's an invitation to spend more time with him. You know, um, I love what William Temple said. Uh, he's passed away, but you know, when he talks about uh, prayer, he says it's Funny to me, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't pray, they don't. (laughs) You know, we sometimes think, though, that prayer is about getting things. But um, as we kind of think about this idea, look at verse six going into our room, shutting the door, praying in private, and your Father will reward you. Believing that to be true, that there will be some kind of reward. Is it that you will get everything that you ask for? Is that what Jesus is promising? Well, um, this analogy will only make sense to some people, and it's a test of maturity. And uh, if this doesn't make sense to you, um, just give it some time, and maybe it'll grow on you. Um, A comedian, uh, you know, uh, pointed out to me um, something profound about a year ago. And he was, you know, doing his bit, and he said, you know, kids, kids, they always want to do things. (laughs) So they get mad when parents cancel their plans, right? They're like, oh, man, we need to do stuff, Dad. But when adults get to cancel their plans, their faces light up. (laughs) And he says, have you ever asked an adult, what'd you do this weekend? And their answer is nothing, absolutely nothing. And it was glorious. (laughs) You know, I think there's that sense of, you know, as you grow older, it sounds kind of nice not to have to do a million things on a weekend. And I think when you grow in prayer, I think the early stage of prayer is you go to God like you're just asking for more and more things. Like my prayer life is basically me asking God for things. And I'm really panicky and I I need him to do all these things. But I think as you grow and develop, your prayer life ceases to be just asking for things and you shift into doing things like praising him, adoring him, giving thanks to him. And I said, well, what'd you do in your prayer life? What'd you get out of it? You're like, that's not really the point of my prayer. God's not like a cosmic slot machine where I'm just getting things from him. I I just enjoyed time with him, you know? I did nothing in my prayer life, you know, so to speak. So that's what I want to suggest to you, Christian, is that when you pray, and as you grow in your prayer life, you're going to grow beyond just asking for things. You know, you may not ever notice this, but our worship service, we pattern our prayers kind of after, you know, four, four stages of prayer. And it's based off of the Acts prayer method. Pastor Revens uh, talked about it, right? So it's A-C-T-S. You can write this down if you have a journal or if you have a Bible. And this is a guide to how we pray. So we adore God. We say, great are you, Lord, holy, 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 Lord God of power and might. You know, we praise him, we adore him. Right? Then there's a time for C, which is for confession of sin, right? saying, Lord, I am a sinful man. I have committed sin. Forgive me. Let me repent of the things that I have done. So your prayer life is not just asking God for things. There's also a sense of you are confessing your sins. You are adoring him. And then, of course, the T in Acts is for thanksgiving, thanking God for what he has done for you. Praise be to God. Right? Uh, Psalm 103 is a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving, right? And then lastly, then in the S, that's when you ask God to supply. You ask for supplication, right? So let me just finish up with this. Um, how can you and I grow this year in prayer, right? I wanna to suggest to you that that should be a New Year's goal for you, that you should grow as a more prayerful person. So I would suggest to you that prayer is meant to be a regular feature of your everyday life, And I would go so far as to challenge you to believe that daily prayer is more vital to your life than what? Than your own cup of coffee every morning. Or just believe your prayer is as powerful as your cup of coffee or tea. Uh, A day without prayer is a missed opportunity at life at its best. I'm suggesting to you that there is no rule as to how much or how long your prayers need to be. If anything, you know, the prayer of the Lord is pretty short, so it doesn't need to be, you know, super duper long. Uh, It seems like I'm suggesting to you that most godly people like Daniel, the apostles, Jesus himself had some kind of fixed pattern of prayer. You know, classic times being morning, noon, and night. You know, what you could do this year is just pick one of those. You know, maybe the morning doesn't work for you. Maybe you work really early in the morning. Well, Maybe make the evening time your prayer time. When you and I pray, we pray to God, not to other people. And the best way to do that is to find a place where you can be totally by yourself, a secret place. Is there a closet in your house you can go to? Can you wake up early and can you be praying in the living room with nobody around? Um, I'd add to that, you know, when it comes to praying in the secret place, the reason you should pray with nobody else around is because I'd encourage you to be praying out loud. Have you ever tried to pray in your head? It doesn't work. You know why? Because your mind is thinking about a million different things. You know, there's a famous story about Martin Luther. He made a bet. Not that I'm endorsing betting, you know, but Martin Luther made a famous bet with one of his fellow pastors once. And Martin Luther, in his usual Lutheran way, was like, no one can pray the Lord's Prayer in their mind silently and mean every word of it. Isn't that just a very Luther thing to say? And this priest says, no, I can pray the Lord's Prayer silently in my mind and I can mean every word. And Luther was like, no, you need to pray it out loud because if you don't pray it out loud, your mind's gonna be you know, scatterbrained or you're gonna think about other things. And the guy says, no, I, I know I can do it. And Luther you know, famously says what? I bet you my horse, you can't pray the Lord's Prayer and not get distracted without saying it out loud. And the guy says, oh, buddy, you're on. Halfway through the prayer, the guy stops and thinks, Do I get the saddle too? (laughs) Needless to say, Luther kept his horse. I think that's part of it. If you're by yourself, you can pray out loud. Praying out loud genuinely helps you stay focused on the Lord. You know, it's just like taking different postures. People in the Bible, they kneel sometimes. They lie prostrate. They raise their hands. Sometimes they close their eyes. Sometimes they open their eyes. The point is not to be legalistic about any one of those things. The point is to have a time where you are alone with your Father. So how could you have a plan? Well, let me just subscribe, uh, uh, prescribe a couple of things for you to consider. One, uh, today is January 1st. Our church is going to be inviting everybody to do a 31-day devotional. Starting what day? Today. today. You can go get a copy in the back. It's a 31-day devotional. You can read that, and it can maybe help you in your prayer life. Uh, if you don't have a daily Bible reading plan, uh, I'd encourage you to uh, check out the magazine Table Talk. There's some copies in the in the hallway, it has a daily devotional. Uh, it's an exegetical summary of a passage of scripture, and then in the bottom, it gives you, you know, a Bible reading plan if you wanted to read through the Bible in a year. Uh, you know, also in the resource area in the lobby, there is a book called Be Thou My Vision, and it famously follows a Bible reading plan by Robert Murray Machane, that Scottish pastor I was talking about. If you want to have a daily time of prayer and reading of God's word, you know, check out that book. Be Thou My Vision. Check out Table Talk. We have other daily devotionals for you. The point is not to be legalistic about it. The point is just have a daily time, and there are tools to help you do it. If you're like, I don't know how to have a daily Bible reading time and prayer time, guess what? There's all these tools in the back that you can find. And uh, you know, famously, just so you know, the machine reading plan, if you were to follow it, which is what I am doing this year, you'll read through the Old Testament once and the New Testament and the Psalms twice in the year. So let me just finish up. Imagine, friend, you could ask God for one thing. Well, guess what? You can You can ask him to grow in your prayer life, and God promises to reward you if you'll do it. Friends, Jesus doesn't always give us what we ask for, but he does always give us what we need. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And Lord, as we talk about prayer, Lord, we just confess right now uh, our sin of prayerlessness. Uh, Lord, we confess that we don't believe prayer does anything. Uh, Lord, we pray that we are so easily discouraged by prayer. But Lord, we thank you so much that you promise to reward us if we pray. Lord, we thank you for the simplicity of the Lord's prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we're not uh, called to just repeat phrases over and over and over again mindlessly, but that we can genuinely talk to you as Father. Lord, we adore you. We praise you. We confess our sin to you, and we ask that you would forgive us and lead us into repentance. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for life together as a church. We thank you for all of the resources that are available to us. Lord, all the different books that help us study your word and stay on track to learn more about you. And Lord, it's in that spirit of prayer we come before you asking that you would supply what we need Lord, we pray for Clyde Hoffman and Lorraine. We pray for Sean McCoy, for Harry Gilg, for Gail Johnston, for Paul Deller, Randy Templeton, Lynn Toombs. Lord, we think of all those who have lost parents and loved ones this Christmas and this past year. Lord, those who have experienced a blue Christmas. Uh, Lord, we ask that you'd be especially close to them and by your Holy Spirit, that you would be giving them hope, peace, and love. Holy Spirit, only you can do that. And Lord, we ask knowing that you can and that you will. And Lord, lastly, we pray for another local church here in our valley. Lord, we thank you for life here in the Rogue Valley, the opportunity to serve you here with brothers and sisters. And Lord, we lift up to you Applegate Christian Fellowship right now. Lord, we pray that this year would be a blessed year for that church, that they would continue to seek your face and to study your word and be faithful. And Lord, we ask that they too would grow as a praying church. Lord, we ask all this in the name of our King. Amen.